Ladies and gentlemen, Cardinals fans, welcome to the newly christened Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Josh, also from Pitchers Hit 8th. Josh, say hello. Hello. Uh, new, same as the old, I guess, Josh, huh? Uh, Pitchers Hit 8th podcast won out in the big uh, name the podcast contest, so here we are, uh, Pitchers Hit 8th podcast Episode 1.0. Congratulations, sir. We made it. <laughs> Indeed. Did you ever have any doubts? No. No, I... Of course not. I, I doubted the name, but that that's just what I do. We will be joined, uh, our guest, for episode one. Uh, we'll be joined later by Drew Silva from NBCSports.com. Uh, not only does Drew cover baseball for NBCSports.com and Roto World, he's also a huge Cardinals fan. So uh, we expect to have a good time chatting with Drew. In the meantime, Josh, uh, team continues to win series. Uh, a split with the Marlins, which Marlins are playing good ball right now, and they beat Josh Johnson. So a split's just fine by me. I will take it. Uh Albert Pujols uh, is probably going to be, again, the story for the near future, the far future, hopefully for the Cardinals' future, but that's, you know, <laughs> to be seen. Uh, to me, the big question mark I have for you isn't so much the bullpen. We seem to get a little bit of consistency there. I'm, I'm actually curious what your take is on Ace 1.0, Chris Carpenter. You know, that's an interesting question because I think it feeds partially into one of the questions that I had for you, so maybe we'll discuss both at the same time. I think right. everyone has their own opinion on Carpenter's demeanor when he's on the mound. Some love the... I love the bulldog attitude. I, I'm not sure that I'm that excited anymore about the rabid bulldog uh, in, in Carp when he gets on the mound. We, we've seen it before, we saw it again, that when he gets really fired up, and he's admitted as much before, that he thinks it does affect the way that he pitches. And, and he pitches with a chip on his shoulder all the time, but I think when he gets so fired up, it's difficult for him to concentrate as 100% as he should. It's difficult for him to locate his pitches. It's It's probably difficult for him to get proper grip, proper mechanics for his pitches. He gets so jacked up on adrenaline. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's been the victim of some bad defense, obviously, which partially of his own doing. Um, I think he's going to be fine. I, obviously, since it was your question, you have an opinion. Uh, not so much of an opinion. I just, you know, again, I'm not the type that uh, needs to be talked off the ledge. It just I, I did get this, the impression that he was maybe even trying just a little too hard, you know, maybe not so much to to get back to where he thought he was or the level where where maybe he thought people had questioned, you know, is he going to be worth $15 million next year in this option? And with Wainwright going down, it's even more important for him to be the ace. I, I don't necessarily buy into a lot of that it just it did seem like he was forcing things a little bit and that's a very good point with the <laughs> the two different 
two different carpenters on the mound, if you will. The uh, I was always happy to see not so much him put, you know, an infielder in his place or have a discussion with somebody, but you could definitely tell he's the leader when he's out there on the mound, but it does seem at least a little bit more this year that I guess for it being May, he, he almost seems like he's in September form and I don't really want to see him, you know, these aren't make or break games for the, to win a playoff spot. I, I more just kind of want to see him go out there and, and, and throw and get some rhythm going, which, sure. you know, we, we definitely have seen from, uh, thankfully from the number two guy, at least in the rotation, Jake Westbrook. Well, you know, going back to what you started off with about Carpenter, I'm not, I think he'd have had to win a Cy Young this year and pitch like 210 innings for them to pick up that $15 million option straight away next year. I just, true. I, I just don't think that there's value in it for the club to just straight pick it up without attempting to renegotiate a better deal, some sort of extension. It just, he'd have really had to blow the doors off of things this year. There's too many other things going on. Oh, that, no so. doubt. No <laughs> doubt. They've got a few bucks invested in other guys right now. A little bit. Um, but, you know, again, it, his there's no doubt that he's not getting any younger. Uh, he has. There were some concerns last year about a drop in his velocity, which seems to have picked up this year, which is a good sign. Uh, but... You know, he's not getting any younger. He's he's having to shoulder a lot of the load this year that I don't think, uh, you know, not that he wasn't prepared for, but just it wasn't the expectation going into Jupiter this this spring. Um, now that's not to make an excuse, but I think that uh, no, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. I think he needs to keep the ball in the yard. And, and I read somewhere last night and I. I really need to start keeping track of this stuff so that we can give proper attribution. But I recall reading somewhere last night, it may have just been on Twitter, that he's, he's gone through stretches like this before where he gives up a bunch of home runs over the course of a few games. That's the thing that alarms me the most is that he's given up a bunch of long balls over his last handful of starts. And I think that uh, that's alarming. But even at that, you talk about, him Carpenter giving up home runs, uh, the defense committing errors and giving away free base runners and free runs. Um, but this offense, hey, the, the 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 worst games that Carpenter has pitched this year they've still been in, and, and maybe that's a bad thing to an extent because it kind of masks some issues that may be there. But uh, I think it'll be fine. My my bigger concern and and what I mentioned earlier was leading into my question for you a bit clearly the defense has struggled uh going into today i i think they had 28 errors in 31 games and i listened to joe strauss on 101 uh, espn there in st louis this morning he was guesting on, on one of the morning shows and even even strauss the the snarkiest of snarks and and pessimistic most pessimistic of all grumps, I guess you'd say, said on that show, he said, surely this rate can't keep up. I would I would tend to agree. I would, I would hope that it wouldn't keep up. But it was made clear in the offseason that this team was upgrading the offense, which was a, a 
detriment of the team last year in 2010 at the expense of some defense. Uh, there were no bones made about it. That was the deal. So far, they've been able to come up, cover up some of those shortcomings. Um, it could be argued that they should have more, even more errors than they've got, but thanks to some friendly official scorers, um, they've managed to stay away from that. My question for you, can this team continue to win as they have been because the offense is certain to go through some slumps at some point, I would expect. Hey, strangely enough, we haven't seen much of it yet, save for that first week of the season. Can this offense, and the pitching to a certain extent, but they're obviously most affected by the defense, can the offense continue to overcome the defensive shortcomings of this team for the entire season? The outfield miscues, yes. The infield miscues, no. Um, hmm. That's... That's a, that's a yes and no answer. And, no, that's and an interesting to, way of viewing it, though. Well, the the outfield is set. You know, you knew what you were going to get from Lance Berkman. That was a given. Which I'd argue is is at least slightly better than most doomsday folk uh, anticipated. True, he's not Chris Duncan in the outfield, and that you know a, a lot of, a lot of what I was reading is the Cardinals were taking a huge risk and. Well, you know, there's there's risk assumed on both sides with that. I guess the bigger issue for me, and I, I tried to bring this up on the site last week a little bit, is everybody is kind of coming down on Ryan Terrio. For me, I think it's hard because he spent all spring with, one, Skip Schumacher at, at second, which is, again, anytime you take a, a player that's not used to a position and Terrio seems like he's forcing it a bit, just, you know, new team and trying to prove maybe that he belongs at shortstop. I guess for me, the bigger issue is not knowing what they're going to do at third base. And Well, again, uh, that's a tough I, I think that's a, I, th I think you make some good points. Uh, the question, I guess, becomes, well, number one, Obviously, the injury to Freeze is a, is a big blow to the team, not only defensively, but in the lineup as well. He had been hitting really well. And the guy's just snake bit. I, I really feel bad for the guy. But hopefully, and you know, I know they've got some screws in there. Uh, hopefully the, what was it, 8 to 12, 9 to 12 weeks they expected. Hopefully that's an accurate estimate. Um, in the meantime, Descalso's been playing a pretty mean third base. So I'm not, I'm not, as concerned there, um, as you mentioned, the, the issue, in my opinion, then becomes the fallout, is if everyone's healthy and somebody could knock Tony over the head and convince him to do it, I think a team that has Freeze at third, Descalso at second base, regardless of a healthy Skip Schumacher or not, and... Obviously, he's bullish on Terrio at shortstop, and, and I don't think his mind is going to be changed there. I think that that is probably, again, given the given LaRusa's feet firmly planted in the ground on, uh, on Terrio, I think that's one of the better defensive lineups they could field. Uh, put Tyler Green at shortstop, and I think you're even better. Um, but... The, the bounty with that 
is that as long as he keeps hitting as he has been in, in the last week, week and a half, Descalso doesn't represent much of an offensive downgrade from Schumacher, in my opinion. So now Freeze goes out, Descalso moves to third, and like I said, I, I, I don't mind Descalso at third. I think he's played a fine third base. The issue then becomes your second baseman is now Nick Punto. And Punto, arguably, statistically, <laughs> represents a downgrade offensively. Um, now, I know Tyler Green will play there a bit, too. Uh, and, and in my opinion, there's some question about how well he'll fare defensively there. I think he's a great... Short, I think he's a great option defensively at shortstop. I'm not confident in, in him transitioning to second base real smoothly, but it is a move in the right direction on the defensive scale. Um, so maybe I'm just being overbearing. But um, I think that I think there is there is a lineup that can be adequate to average defensively again the question is that good enough is the offense going to continue to score enough runs if everybody's healthy that's the key like you said uh if 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 is the big you know obviously that's going to be the ongoing issue everybody knows larus's favor for skip schumacher so that's going to have to be dealt with when he comes back and then you know, I, I guess the the main thing is getting number five going because obviously Berkman and Holiday, you you wouldn't assume can keep up the pace that they're going. Uh, so you you would think there is going to be a little evening out, but uh, you know, I, I think when we talked Nick before looking at the offense, the the entire lineup, there weren't a lot of holes. There weren't a lot of people you could pitch around and that's going to be the key is two things really you brought up some some good points about how you know terrio has pretty much because of his offense well that's going to be the key that was kind of the whole reason why schumacher was put at second base was for his offense now if if the offense kind of falls back to earth a little bit from the shortstop position then i think that's somewhere you have to look at you can't give up you can't keep giving up all those opportunities and those chances and the extra base runners that, you know, the, the offense is going to possibly, I I'm, I'm for one, I'm not a huge reader into certain stats. I mean, that obviously it, the glaring thing right now is the, the Cardinals have, I think at least now, I don't, I, I really didn't, you know, they have at least 10 <laughs> more ground into double plays than anybody else in the game. But then the good point that they brought up that I was actually, unfortunately, I guess, for me on the same page with Al Herboski is that means you got more guys on base. You know, uh, can, can the offense keep that up? You have, a lot of, you have a lot of Cardinals right now that are seeing the ball really well. And the good thing about that is they're not swinging at a lot of bad pitches. So, and they're seeing a they, lot of pitches. You know, Exactly. They're they're making the pitchers work. I I was really surprised that Josh Johnson today didn't have more pitches in the sixth inning. I mean, obviously they were able to get to him. Well, the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals were lucky. Johnson wasn't necessarily on his A game today, but he was still tough. 
Oh, he was tough, but the Cardinals weren't giving him a chance to mow him down because, as McGuire pointed out in the pregame, he, he loves his fastball. You need to be keying in on his fastball. And that's what they were doing. That's how they got to him early. I mean, he was, he was real bullish after the second inning. But I think that's the key is I think that's why Terrio is so good in the number one hole is he's going to see a lot of pitches. Well, that hasn't Burton, always Burton been the case. The At least in past years it hasn't been the case. He made a distinct focus on that in the spring that was reported on, and, and it's he's he's made good on it. He's seeing, yep. I was looking earlier today, he's seeing uh, almost four pitches per plate appearance uh, so far this season, and... As I recall what I was looking at, I think that's his, you know, again, small sample size. We're still early, but I believe that's his career high. And, you know, he's been around a little while. Um, but he made that a point in spring to focus on seeing more pitches and really being patient. And I think it's paid off. He took a lot of walks early on. Um, you know, I, I had this little argument yesterday with some folks on Twitter about uh, whether the Cardinals would be better off right now because Terrio has had just an awful time in the field. And I think some of that stuff is, is self-propagating, too, that gets it in his head, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, you know, like, like I did when I was playing Little League ball. <laughs> and, and I think it just, you know, what are you going to do? But I was having this discussion yesterday on Twitter with some folks about whether the Cardinals would be better off with Brendan Ryan still at shortstop or, or as they are now with Terrio. And as much as it pained me to do it, because I'm a fan of defense as much as the next guy, so far, and it's by a very slim margin, Terrio's bat has outweighed the negatives of his glove. And so far, Ryan's a negative in both. Well... I know you're a big Ryan fan. No, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I. I used to be, and I was. I was real, real high on the fact that he seemed to be, uh, as well as Colby, one of the, one of the first, I guess, that I would consider of the younger crew that maybe was able to sway Tony a little bit because that was always kind of the mo for Larusa is, got to stick with your veterans, got to stick with, you know. A, a, a certain type of player, you know, the David Eckstein type, and you got you got to stick with these guys because they've proven they can do it. I I think to me it it the maybe some, not so much the off the field stuff, but just the the same type of thing that I kind of found out today a little bit on Twitter dealing with the the game, and I made a comment about Rasmus, and I I would prefer to see my players give their all. More so, I, I know Terrio's trying too hard a little bit right now. You can kind of see that. Like you said, he's he, he he's wanting to do such a, you know, to prove himself and to prove to the people that doubted him. And, and that's there's a place for that. There's there's no doubt to me. But if you take that a little bit too far, what I worry about is if his bat falls off at all, then that's going to, is that going to put more pressure on him in the field. Where do you think that, is there, is there a, is there a, is there a fine line? Is there even any kind of a correlation between the two? Well, the optimist in me wants to say, no, he's a professional. He'll, it's his job. He'll just go out and, and make it happen. 
the realist in me knows and has seen that that's not always the case. I, I don't I don't know to answer your question. Uh, I've never really, save for the series when the Cards were playing the Cubs way back when, I've never really followed the guy too closely other than to know he was bound to wind up playing for the Cardinals eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seemed, it seemed that way. Uh, yeah, the, the epitome of, of scrappy white guy, dirty uniform, uh, hits in the leadoff spot for Tony La Russa, but he's not really a leadoff hitter, that kind of guy. Um, I don't know, to answer your question. I, I, I think in Terrio's Cardinal career, we have yet to see what sort of uh, testicular fortitude the man has. That's a good way to put it. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we will see that here before too long. And that's the, you know, that's the great thing to be sitting here talking, uh, the first week of May is, Again, the Cardinals are doing enough that their winning series today, you know, obviously they were able to not lose a series, and it, it that seemed probably about as improbable as it could be with who they're facing. But that's, I, I think if the 2011 Cardinals have shown anything, it, it's that the way that this team is built, they don't necessarily pay attention to the scoreboard they don't necessarily pay attention to, you know, if they put themselves in a hole defensively, and maybe that's a good thing. Oh no maybe doubt. Maybe it's, you know, they're able to kind of have that stuff roll off their back, and they're just, you know. <laughs> I was thinking to myself earlier today as I'm watching this game. I'm thinking, self. <laughs> last year you would have shut this off when the when the Marlins went up two runs, and that could that could have been said about. Any number of games that the Cardinals have played this year. Now, obviously, we'd all love for them to win blowout style every game they play. That's not going to happen. They've played a lot more closer than I think most folks would have liked. They've won a lot more in dramatic fashion fashion than most folks would like. But uh, I find myself reacting to this team that last year... Last year's Cardinals would have given up in this situation. This year's Cardinals, I'm like, ah, they could still make it happen. And the strangest thing, I think, about this team is where in 2010, injuries did them in, slumps did them in, uh, various number of things, just attitude did them in. This year's team gets hit with a rash of injuries and... They go to their young guys in the bullpen, and it's actually, I think, been a, a real eye-opener for a lot of people, both fans and folks within the organization, is that you know, they've always talked about having a surplus of right-handed relieving talent, but, hey, these guys can pitch now, and they're going to make an impact now. So rather than those injuries being a reason, an excuse for the team, those injuries have really been turned into a positive to almost to the point where now they've got some <laughs> some really difficult decisions to make when Talit comes back off the disabled list, when Schumacher comes back off the disabled list. You're seeing now that guys like Descalso can play a little ball at multiple positions. You know, I, Yeah, that's the key I, right there. I don't know if I would have pegged him to be as capable a third baseman coming into this year as he's proven to be. Um 
the other thing is the way that this offense is performing right now. Matt Holiday and Lance Berkman are just out of their heads right now. It's silly. Just silly. And the beautiful thing about the way this offense is going right now is, you know, knock on wood, I hope it doesn't happen, but sooner or later there's going to come a week or two weeks where Holiday has a rough patch or Berkman has a rough patch, or they both do, but Colby's seeing the ball really well. Um, again, Descalso comes off the bench and provides a strange, unexpected jolt to the team offensively. John Jay hits a home run. Um, and we haven't seen the Albert Pujols of old yet. So these guys go through a slump. Maybe by then Pujols is hot. And the offense doesn't skip a beat. This team is, so, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I wrote about this in a, in a Brandon Phillips framed post after the Red Series um, that maybe Phillips was right. The 2010 cards, they just didn't have it in them to be tough enough to win games, to win when they were when they got punched in the mouth. But man, I I love watching this year's club. Yeah, that's you know, and and I think even more so than the offense, a lot of the same pieces were in place offensively last year that are there this year. It's uh, I almost got the sense last year that the Cardinals would do just enough to be able to get back and, and possibly tie it up, but then they, whether or not they had their faith in their pitching that they have this year, I think they know that the starters are going to battle for them. They're, if they have to get into their bullpen, you don't know what order. Last year you kind of knew, okay, this guy's going to pitch this inning and it's going to go kind of like this. Well, you obviously, with especially with only one lefty right now, you don't have that luxury. But to me, the big the big change is well, there's two big changes. Obviously, I mean the, the like you mentioned, the Albert Pujols hasn't he he might just we might be starting to see him come out of the whatever kind of funk he was in. But more importantly than that, you got that guy behind Holiday where you can't really pitch around either one of the three or four guys now. I'm not saying they did that last year. We saw a lot of it with going to Ludwig last year and for a couple of years now. But I think given the fact that there are guys that have stepped up, I, I won't say that they, they're going to be able to overcome whatever else is coming down their way because obviously there's no way to know that. It just does kind of appear that maybe there there was more to maybe what Mosaic was saying about why they brought in certain character guys this year, and and that's something that obviously you know we're not necessarily privy to, and I'm, I'm saying even maybe the local media is not privy to it. It just seems like maybe a lot of that was tried to play down a little bit last year, and maybe there was more to it, and that's why there was more of a change in the roster this year and you know that's a good thing you'd rather not have maybe certain players that will remain remain nameless because there might still be some fans out there that miss those certain players but obviously you can't look at this year's team and, and not like what you see no doubt um 
that being said, I think we've prattled on about it long enough. Let's find out what an expert thinks. Let's do it. Uh, once again, you're listening to episode 1.0, the Pitcher's Hit 8th podcast. We will uh, be joined by special guest Drew Silva from NBCSports.com. Um, we'll get Drew on the phone. We'll be right back after this. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Well, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. We're joined currently by Drew Silva. Drew writes uh, for NBCSports.com's Hardball Talk blog, uh, as well as RotoWorld.com. Drew, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm sitting on my patio on a humid May afternoon in St. Louis. Couldn't couldn't ask for any better. Sweating. (laughs) (laughs) That's another important thing to note, is that just because Drew is is working for the big the big boys at NBC Sports uh, doesn't mean that uh, he's not in tune with the Cardinals, a, a a local guy and huge Cardinal fan. Um, Josh, you I, I know that you're just chomping at the bit. <laughs> That's the understatement, uh, especially for a St. Louis guy. That we appreciate you coming on, Drew. How exciting is it? maybe as, as humid as the weather can be, that first series with the Cubs, especially at Wrigley, it, to me that just makes the season. That's the, To me that's just about everything because that's what I grew up. That was the only games I could get to see were the ones at Wrigley. So what you know? What are your feelings going into this series? To the series or the season? Well, to me the, this series makes the season, but either one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's nothing better than a Cards-Cubs series, and especially at Wrigley, and I, I like Bush a lot. I like to do Bush fine. And um, I've been to a lot of other ballparks. I've been to Fenway, and I was at the old Yankee Stadium. But to me, Wrigley Field is is the best park in the majors. It's it's just awesome. It's a party atmosphere, and if you're not into that, it's also just it's small, it's intimate, it's everything's green. Maybe not at this time of year. It's still a bit viney out in the outfield, but you know, I love Wrigley Field. Nothing better than Cards Cubs, and it it looks like right now that you know the Cards have the upper hand in the rivalry, or, or, and have had that for you know the past let's say going back to 2003. So it's you know, it's it's been fun. Drew, it definitely is not. It's not boring, and the Cardinals don't seem to make anything. Uh, I don't know what the the best way I would put it, except to say that yeah, Tony makes things Larusa, dramatic. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to put it. Tony Larusa teams are always dramatic, if nothing else. Is this is this year's ball club? How much of a difference can you tell? You know, as as you follow it and you, you kind of look around baseball and you see how certain teams are built and they're made. Did you did you have a feeling that this team was going to have a different vibe to it? To me, you know, the expectations really took a hit when Wainwright went down. 
you didn't know what you were going to get out of Kyle McClellan. And I think the general consensus was that Jaime Garcia would probably take a step back. You know, there's no way he'd match his numbers from last year. And the expectation was that Berkman probably wouldn't be able to stay healthy or, you know, wouldn't look very good out in right field. And he hasn't looked great, but he certainly looked athletic. He's not a tree stump. And, you know, the heart of that lineup with Rasmus maturing day by day and, you know, Holiday hitting like an MVP and Berkman hitting out of his mind. You know, it's, to me, they're in one of the top three teams in the National League, and I don't see why that would change. That's, you know, that's, it would have been hard-pressed for any of us that are Cardinals fans to look at after Wainwright going down and, you know, again, as Nick and I have pointed out, it's still early. Uh, real quick, if, if who, with Roto World more so than the hardball talk, who would you have been more bullish on your expectations, Berkman or Garcia with, you know, maybe what yeah. you saw in the spring? Um, Probably Berkman. I really didn't like that deal when they made it just because the guy hasn't played the outfield regularly since, what, 2006 or, or is it even 2004? And he's had two knee, knee surgeries, surgeries on both knees since. So to me, it just didn't make sense to ask him to play the outfield regularly and to expect him to post big numbers while doing it, especially the way he finished the year with the Yankees. So, I mean, I don't – to me, I wasn't recommending anyone to draft him on the fantasy side with Roto-World, you know. And I, don't, I think he went undrafted in a lot of leagues, but to this point, he's been the best sleeper pick out of anyone. Oh, by far. And that's, uh, you know, even in our, our little pitchers at 8th League, uh, Dennis, another member of the pitchers at 8th team, was uh, – bragging how he made the the pick of the draft by grabbing Berkman when I don't think a lot of people were you know laughing at him but I think it was more of a, a sentimental pick but it's one of those things where you know it's, it's a good thing that we don't work for the team and and the powers that be took a chance on him and do you see him how much of a decline do you possibly think that maybe not so much holiday he he just looks out of his mind like you said but do you do you expect berkman to to fall off with the way that the entire lineup's been hitting the first month plus of the year yeah definitely and i mean it is early and there's a good chance that he's going to have a couple nagging injuries especially with his legs and maybe even his arm i think the regression is definitely coming but i I don't see it being that severe as long as he's healthy. I mean, he's a proven fantastic hitter, and he's hitting behind Albert Pools and Matt Holliday. He might not put much stock into, you know, where people hit behind other people, but, I mean, it's it's something. There's something to it. He's always going to have runners on base. He's always going to be able to have RBI opportunities. No, easily. It's – and – Nick, I've been uh, peppering in with questions and with our special guest. I'm sure you have a few that you'd like to get in, so take it away. Drew, before we got you on, uh, Josh and I recorded a bit. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Josh? Yeah, I'm here. 
<laughs> got this is the first episode, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, this will all be edited out. <laughs> Sounds good now, though, right? Yeah, it's just like, Drew, you said you're sitting yeah. outside. Oh, that might really? be it. No big my deal. Anyways. Like, it's, you know, AT&T, it's an iPhone. It just doesn't work in my house. It's ridiculous, but... <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, naturally. All right. Anyway, it's an Angry Birds playing device that it will occasionally allow a phone call. That's what it is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Drew, before we had you on, Josh and I talked a little bit about, as he mentioned earlier, the distinct differences between the 2010 Cardinals and the 2011 Cardinals, and I say distinct because, in my opinion, it. They they clearly seem like two different ball clubs. They're they're playing a lot looser this year, um, and in in my purview, it's it's hard to attribute that to anything other than achieving their goals in the off season of of kind of rebuilding the clubhouse. That being said, they've cl- they clearly have sacrificed defense for offense, which they've made no bones about. But can the offense continue to carry this club if the defense remains as questionable as it's been? Um, you just you can't expect Berkman and Holiday to continue hitting like they have, and and I mean you can expect that Pools is going to start doing a lot better offensively. So you know there's something there, there's something there that this offense is going to be great all year. But especially the defense of Ryan Terrio, I think it's going to be a, a problem all year. He he wasn't a rangy player before, and it looks like he's even lost a step. You know, he doesn't field balls well. And to me, and this might, I don't know if this will sound crazy to you guys, but I think Tyler Green deserves a shot at starting at shortstop for the Cardinals. And I would put, you know, Descalzo or Punto at second or Descalzo and Punto at third. And I would just start Tyler Green, give him a shot. He had a 20-homer season in the minors. Better, well, he's never really had a shot to prove that he has a better on-base ability than Terrio, but... It seems like you can't be any worse at the top of the lineup, and I think that really needs to be addressed, the leadoff spot and the defense at shortstop. I tend to agree with you. Failing all of that, is is Terrio being on this team a successful gamble if his offensive contribution outweighs his defensive failings? For just to choose one metric, if if his offensive war comes out in the wash with with the negative of the defense, is it successful? I don't think so, especially for a team that preaches pitching to contact and preaches pitching low in the zone to get ground balls. I think you guys had a post on your website, I don't know if it was Dennis or who, about Brendan Ryan having an almost similar war to Terrio at this point. And that really says something because Ryan has not been hitting in Seattle. At the, I, I remember that, and I believe at the time, Terrio was about a complete wash, about at zero, and, and Ryan was slightly below zero because he had had a couple of defensive miscues, and, and like you said, he wasn't hitting. So I think you're right. I think it does say a lot. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, particularly when Schumacher comes back, uh, because personally, I feel like 
having to deal with some of the injuries that they've had to deal with, with Terrio missing a game, uh, Schumacher being out, even Freeze being out, an infield of Descalso at third, Green at short, and Punto at second base, from my perspective, almost, it seems like that might be the best defensive lineup they can be. Definitely. I totally agree. And offensively, are you are you losing that much? You are with Punto, but, I mean, Schumacher's not, he's got a little bit more power, obviously, but it's not like he's a, he's a great power hitter. Right, and for that matter, keeping fingers crossed on on the man made of glass, <laughs> assuming that Freeze makes it back in one piece later, even an infield of, of say, Freeze, Green, Descalso play in second, and Punto playing the utility role that he was expected to fill coming in, still a far superior defensive Right, lineup. I think it's worth also giving Descalso a, a lot of time to see if come next winter we can just let Schumacher walk because he's going to be pretty expensive, I think. The arbitration, you know, if, he, if the Scalzo can become the starting second baseman, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It obviously depends on a lot of other moves as well, but you know what happens with Pools. Well, right, and and that that cost certainty is definitely going to be something that they have to invest heavily in. I think Schumacher. He's in the last year, that two-year extension they gave him at, I think, what, probably close to $3 million, if not Right, more, I think it might be 3.5 or something. So. Yeah. Right. Um, nationally speaking, you obviously get to watch a lot of baseball for a living, which, lucky. <laughs> um, tell us some things about... Uh, other NL Central clubs, and, and we've faced them all by now, but what are some things that Cardinal fans should be paying attention to when watching uh, games against the other NL Central clubs and, and things to pay attention to as the story of the season unfolds? I think the Pirates might be able to play around 500 baseball throughout the year. The Pittsburgh Pirates? Yeah, that's right. You know, I like... I like their young players on offense. I think Alvarez is going to start hitting. McCutcheon's great. Um, and they have at least some signs of, of you know, a, a little bit of talent in that rotation. Everyone likes to talk about how Charlie Morton is becoming the next Troy Halliday. I don't really get that, but I guess, they, I guess Morton has, you know, uh, fashioned his approach uh, off holiday, and that's never a bad guy to do it. And James McDonald should be better. He had a nice, a nice year last year for them. Um, and then you know the Astros, I think, are a complete disaster and are going to be a disaster for a long, long time, unless you know their new owner first of all fires Ed Wade and then <laughs> makes wholesale changes and commits to rebuilding that team. But that's going to take a long time. They have to draft well. They haven't done that. And then, um, yeah, the Reds are going to be there all year. I think it looks like Homer Bailey is going to be a really good pitcher. It looks like Arroyo might have a year or two left. And, you know, getting Cueto healthy is obviously a, a big deal. And, you know, maybe Volquez will get it together. So the Reds are going to be there. The Brewers, 
I just don't like their lineup outside of Braun, Winks, and Fielder. I don't like it at all. And I think, you know, Markham has has been great, and Granke should be great. But and Gallardo, it looks like he's turning it around. But I don't, I don't know if I think I mean I would rank the Cardinals above them for sure. I think it'll be Cardinals Reds a lot like last year, but I think the Cardinals have enough to take it. Drew, that's uh, that's actually uh, my my I guess my main not concern about the NL Central isn't so much the Reds or the Brewers. It's it, it's is do you think there's a team out there looking at the pieces that if they're right there at the trade deadline and, and there may be one piece away. Is there a team that stands out that might go make a move, whereas I, I'm not sure if the Cardinals are going to make a splash this summer? Well, sure. I mean, the Brewers will be looking at dumping a lot of payroll if they're not going to re-sign Fielder. And the Reds seem you know, to have some money to play with. I don't know who they could go after to really improve that club, like a maybe a Jose Reyes, but you know, that's going to deplete their farm system. Maybe the Cubs can make a move, but I think it seems like they're gearing up to make a run at pools in the off season. I, I don't know. Nick, kind of a question for you: uh, Is that did you see any uh, pools uh, pools to Chicago kind of vibe out there? Is, is Wrigley even kind of talking about that yet? Uh, you know, I try not to associate myself <laughs> with Cubs fans. Even I'm their um, I, uh, I strolled in right about time for the first pitch, so I, I obviously didn't get to see all of the goings-on and, and the big to-do about the hugs and whatnot that are, are flying around the interwebs That's today. That's one of the most ridiculous um, stories in a, in a long time. You know, it really is. Talk about fishing oh, for something that, that really just isn't there. Maybe Joe Torrey's right. <laughs> and the thing is, with, with, with a deal like that, that Albert Pujols contract, this next one that he signs, is going to have nothing to do with the general manager. It's going to have everything to do with ownership. Because it's ownership who's going to say, yeah, let's give him 280 or whatever, $300 million. It's going to have nothing to do with Hendry, who right. might not even have a job. He really probably shouldn't have a, have a job. Right. Right. Yeah, and I got to tell you, reading what I read around here locally and, and just for what it's worth, which I, understand, I realize is very little, just talking to friends of mine that are Cubs fans, there's not a lot of confidence around here so far, particularly with chasing state funds to rehab Wrigley, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a lot of confidence, I think, in Ricketts to go out and sign that check. I, Drew, I don't know what what your impression is. I worry about that, though, because you know, Ricketts has, has had kind of a rough start with that. Remember that undercover boss story where you know, he's like fired four of the guys that were on the show after, after the crew's left? And I feel like he's going to want to make a statement, or at least that family's going to want to make a statement and give a ridiculous contract to someone, whether it be, you know, Fielder or Pools. And that's the only thing that I would say is that Ricketts is going to try to make a statement. 
Do you think he's, uh, even though it wasn't really on his watch, do you think that Ricketts going to be gun-shy because of the Soriano deal? Possible, but, I mean, they just have so much money coming off the books that they'll have a lot to play with. That's true. I I, I was unaware until uh, my friends that I went to the game with last night were telling me Ramirez comes off the books this year, Fukudome, which... Again, I know not on his watch, but uh, pretty. I, I I would call that in hindsight a pretty bad deal as well. That you're right, there is a lot of money coming off the books. So I, could they conceivably sign Pujols and and fill from the team? You know, yeah, they, they, I think they'll have the money. I think they'll have the most expendable cash to work with and the most, you know. Uh, drive of the fan base to go sign the guy. Because, you know, I don't know. I think they're, gonna make a, they're definitely going to make a run at him. If it's not going to be the Cardinals, it's going to be the Cardinals. And I, I really wouldn't rule out the music and red stops. People like to say that, well, they're covered at first base, Darren and Gonzalez, but you think if they're willing to offer fools that $300 million deal that he's not going to go, you know, platoon at first and then serve as the eighth, the other half of the time? I think he'd be fine with it for three hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah, and and that's what I was trying to explain in my conversations with with these guys that I went to the game with last night too. Is that I think uh, that's definitely going to be a kind of devil on your shoulder kind of decision for Pujols. Uh, definitely that. He maintains, I want to play first base, I want to play first base, I want to play first base, but if that's going to mean the difference between $200 million from the Cardinals and $300 million from the Red Sox to play to DH, to only be a hitter, play first base every every few days, where where is his heart really on right. that decision? And there's just no way to know. You know, I, saw, I think we, we talked like uh, two trade deadlines ago, and I, I said, yeah, you know, Pools is definitely coming back. They're definitely going to give him a contract. It might be a bad one, but he's definitely coming back. And you know, if he really, really wanted to come back, I guess we don't know what the Cardinals offered him this past off season. You know, but, but it seems like it was probably a significant amount of money. And if he really wanted, really, really wanted to stay a Cardinal and really bought into that, you know, Stan Musial legacy where you you start with one team and you finish with one team and then you're a hero in the city, why wouldn't you have just sign that deal? I think he really wants a shot of free. Well, sure, sure. And Josh and I have discussed this at length and, and written about it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are so many conspiracy theories about, you know, there's there's a, a group of folks, and I can see it, that believe that he's just doing Lozano a solid, that Lozano's out on his own now. Wants to wants to cement his reputation as a tough negotiator. They're going to go to free agency and quote unquote shop around, and eventually he's going to sign the same deal or, or maybe even less with the Cardinals, depending on how this year turns out. But he will have gone to free agency and and again quote unquote sought out the best deal. But I, I'm with you. I think that if I think that if his motivation was really his Cardinals legacy and and being a lifetime Cardinal. Obviously, we can never really believe the numbers that have been thrown about so far, but you have to believe that the Cardinals haven't 
I want to believe <laughs> that the that the Cardinals have not lowballed him that badly. And I think that's a reasonable thing to believe. All right. Well, we could go on and on about that for a long time. I want to touch base on on at least one other topic. And and Josh, if you've got some things to talk to Drew about yet, fire away. But the one last thing that I had on my mind, and even though that it's it's seemingly becoming less and less of an issue, obviously it's always magnified when things blow up in your face. The Cardinal bullpen. It's going to be discussed all year. Drew, you've got the fantasy background uh, with Roto World, so you can give us a little bit of input uh, twofold here, both in terms of what Cardinal fans can expect as well as what fantasy players should be looking for. Who are you buying to get saves in the Cardinal bullpen? I think it's got to, you've got to say Sanchez right now. He's been the guy in, in tight spots. Well, I shouldn't say tight spots, but ninth inning spots um, for the past two weeks now. I guess Salas is getting some looks and Boggs is still getting a chance every once in a while. But I think if you had to say, you know, if, if someone would ask me, you know, I'm looking at the Cardinals bullpen and I need saves in fantasy, uh, who should I take? I would, I would definitely take attention. We're getting some, uh, we're getting some free advice here from Drew, from Drew Silva. <laughs> so our, uh, our, our fantasy listeners here, they, they really should, you know, maybe start, uh, what do you think, Nick? Paying us a finder's fee or something for, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know about paying us a finder's fee. I just hope none of the higher ups at NBC are listening and get Drew well, in trouble we, here. we we won't try to get you in any kind of trouble. Uh, well, that's. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we always try to do what we can for our our three loyal listeners at Pitcher said, hey, uh, Drew, really the you know the the one last topic I had the one the one big question any expectations that based on what you've seen so far were you are you surprised that Chris Carpenter has looked the way he has and, and do you think that he's he's right right now if, if that's a, a, a term that you want to actually use with Chris Carpenter and he said after after the game last night I figured what did he end up giving up like 12 or 13 I think it was 13 and he was counter forward that well, well it was all it was all soft contact, it was a lot of luck, but he was also leaving a lot of pitches up in the zone and I don't think his breaking ball has moved as well as it has in the past. With his age, you know, it's it's definitely a shock that he's not been as effective. But with his age, I don't know if it's really that surprising. I I think I still think he'll do much better and that you know, he'll settle in as the summer goes on, but there's definitely you know, you can definitely say he's just not the guy that he used to be. You know, and if he can just be average, that'll be fine. But, you know, letting up 13 hits usually isn't going to lead to a team victory. I think I think it's uh, it was very observant uh, of Matthew Leach from MLB.com. I was I was getting half. Uh, half-hearted updates on Twitter while I was at Wrigley last night because I unfortunately also have an iPhone on AT&T service and apparently baseball stadiums are not conducive to uh, using said device. Not at all. I, I live but, like, uh, uh, you know, like eight blocks south of Bush and when there's a game it's noticeable how low my service is just because there's 
you know, 40,000 people, you know, a mile north. I can't <laughs> use my phone. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so the, the update that I saw from Matthew Leach, and I, he was having a conversation with someone about uh, Carpenter's location, which, like you said, Drew, he was definitely up in the zone. He he wasn't hitting his spots like the carp of, of two years ago or even last year. But his stuff, his stuff looked good, but he couldn't get it to go where yep. he wanted it. I forget who was batting. He threw like a. I distinctly recall looking up at the at the gun at Wrigley. He threw some filthy 76 mile an hour off speed breaking junk at somebody that just. The guy looked like Beltran in the 06 NLCS. It just totally froze him. It was a nasty, nasty pitch. But that may have been one of five that hit where he wanted it all night. Yeah, it definitely seems like command is is an issue. And I think maybe that just goes with his arm breaking down as he moves closer to age 40. Now, he's a guy with a lot of medical history and a lot of innings under his belt. And he's been, you know, a workhorse when healthy, and then and he's also had those injuries, Tommy John surgery. And other well, not only that, and obviously I don't know Chris Carpenter personally, but... Uh, Given the persona that he allows us to see on TV, I, it's certainly not far from the realm of possibility in my imagination that he's putting a, just an immense amount of pressure on himself to succeed with Wainwright not being around. Definitely also. a possibility. That's a good observation. Drew, I'm curious. Uh, the last thing I got for you, and this is something that Nick and I have bannered about, and given your Again, going back to your your Roto World connections here, uh, there's there's definitely two things with Chris Carpenter just to kind of close the book on him. One is the the money that he's got coming to him if you pick up his option, and two, it's uh, maybe Nick has been championing it a little bit, but the possibility of bringing him back for less money and even maybe looking at him as a ninth inning candidate. After you've seen Chris Carpenter, is that a possibility, do you think? It's just too hard to say right now here in in early May, you know, because I still believe that he's going to, you know, maybe not get back to ace form, but that he's going to resurface or that he's going to, you know, get it all together, figure out whatever's happening and do much better. And if he, you know, if he settles in and, and finishes strong, I still think that's probably an option that you pick up and, and keep him in the rotation. But, you know, if something happens or if he continues to struggle, yeah, why not try to renegotiate and, and see if he wants to pitch in relief? We'd make a fine, a fine reliever. Well, with that, uh, I believe that we have uh, used up enough of Drew's time and, and we'll let him get out of the get out of the heat. <laughs> Down there in St. Louis, um, so he can get back to uh, get back to Angry Birds or whatever it was that uh, doesn't re- doesn't require an actual cell phone signal. Uh, once again, we've been talking to Drew Silva from NBCSports.com. Uh, he writes at the Hardball Talk blog there, um, which Drew is it just HardballTalk.NBCSports.com. Yep, exactly. uh, also, RotoWorld.com and and hosts a chat over there. Uh, 
Once yeah, a week, Tuesdays is it? at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3, 3 p.m. Central. So uh, for those of you trying to uh, determine who the next Lance Berkman is going to be this season, fantasy-wise, Drew's your guy. Uh, Drew, can't thank you enough again for uh, for joining us. I apologize for the uh, <laughs> for the issues trying trying to uh, get this set up, but glad we were finally able to uh, touch base. It's really good, really good to be on, and, and I'm really glad to finally do it. But one of the best things about being a Cardinals fan is how well they're covered from, from you guys to the C70, to Viva Alberto's, and then to the beat guys. I mean, we have the best in the business with Gould and Strauss and, and Leach and, you know, Rick Hummel and, and Bernie and and everyone. It's, it's great. It's just a pleasure to, to be able to follow a team that's covered so well and covered so level-headedly, too, especially with, you know, the drama that the team creates sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about Tony oh, Shingles. Or Terrio's comments. <laughs> or Terrio's comments. Oh, man. I th- okay, so we're going to be on for another half hour. And uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, Drew, again, thanks. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Um, uh, that sounds like a, as good a plug for the show that we can use, so we'll probably clip that out and replay it as often right, as we beautiful. can. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Let's, let's do it again <laughs> soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Drew. Thanks, Drew. Josh, a, kind of a comforting thing, I guess, maybe for you and I, that we're not totally crazy. A, a lot of the things that we discussed about defense and and whatnot surrounding the Cardinals confirmed or at least uh, agreed with by uh, someone I would consider to be an expert so we're not crazy definitely not the 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 main thing that Drew hit on and it's just like you mentioned Nick it's something we've talked about here very recently and you know over the course of this year it's definitely something that's going to keep uh, bringing itself up but Tyler Green, to me, even offers one thing, and I, I didn't really think about it because I, I I don't know how relevant it is. It might be more relevant on other teams, but the the speed factor, you know, Tyler Green already has a limited number of play. He has proven to be a factor on the base pass, and that's not something that maybe it's not just, I won't call it the Tony La Russa thing, it's just not something the Cardinals have seen a lot of when, you know, Albert Pujols has been your leading base stealer for, you know, the most recent past. To me, I, I guess, do you think that when you factor everything in, especially the defense, but then you also look at maybe a guy, since Colby isn't really comfortable in that spot, Tyler Green as a, a leadoff guy, that it could actually do a little bit of damage and maybe disrupt things more so than what, Ryan Terrio offers, is that something that you put any factor into? I don't, and, and I think it's because I really, really like Kobe in the two slot. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I wouldn't go messing with that, particularly since he finally seems comfortable somewhere. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about over, like, Terrio as, as a leadoff candidate. No, I don't want to mess with Kobe either. Leave him in the two-hole for sure. Uh, so Green instead of Terrio as a leadoff yeah. guy. 
See, you know, I don't know if I... Because if not him, who do you, who I, do you go I, I to? I do my best. I do my best to take a step back, and before I say something, before I commit to mm-hmm. something, like, oh, Terrio sucks, and, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And it's not that I'm trying to be a blind homer or or a shill for the front office or anything like that. I want to try and look at things as objectively as I can. And what I see from Terrio is, yeah, his defense, his range isn't as good as Brendan Ryan's was. He makes he makes errors on seemingly simple plays. And I know that drives everybody, including myself, bananas. But there's also a certain element, I believe, of immediacy to that. Every time... it. it when he makes an error, um, it's magnified because everybody is so focused on that. Um, when he makes an error like he did a couple of weekends ago uh, in the Brave series that winds up having a fairly direct impact on the outcome of the game, yeah, it's huge. It's magnified. And it's awful. And, and it's, it, it's impossible to argue with that. But at the same time, when I watch Tyler Green, I see a guy who whether you want to argue about whether he should have been bunting in the first place or not, can't get a bunt, can't get a sacrifice bunt down in three pitches. He dawdles with a seemingly routine play in the field, throwing to second base late when he easily had an out at first. You know, that's a judgment call. That's something that he and only he can control, and he made the wrong decision. Tyler Green hasn't been immaculate himself. Now, that's not, that's not, I'm not trying to position myself as, a, as the world's defender of Ryan Terrio, but the point I'm trying to make is that you're going to have issues that come along with whoever plays there because they don't have a superstar shortstop. They've got a bunch of guys who really, in my opinion, they should be playing who has the hot hand at shortstop because if if LaRusse is committed to Terrio as a starting shortstop defensively it's probably fair to call him the lowest common denominator of guys who would play there for the Cardinals so in terms of shuffling in if Green starts to get hot with the bat well then in theory he's probably offering about the same as what Terrio would offer offensively, which is his main value to the team. So if Green's hitting as well, and in theory plays defense at a higher level than Terrio does, then I'm kind of rambling here to get around to my point that I think that committing to Terrio as your starting everyday shortstop might not be the greatest thing but I also don't think that committing to Tyler Green as your starting everyday shortstop is the answer either. Well, all things created equal that, you know, you, you're faced with one, one key decision. Cause the other, the other factor to me isn't really a factor at all. If, if all things are equal to you and you're the front, you're in the front office, you have a, you know, you have John Mosellock's ear, if, if the defense and the offense both regress a little bit with the offense coming back down to earth a little bit and the, and the defense, you know, it's early May, but let's say we're getting close to the trade deadline. If you're part of that front office crew 
there, Nick. Put on your your front office cap. Do you make, if it's feasible, do you make a go for Jose Reyes if he's there? Well, I mean, of course, you make the phone call. Yeah. Um. There's no there's no cost associated with picking up the phone and and talking to Sandy Alderson and, and finding out what they're gonna want because if if Mo calls him up and says hey you know this race guy let's talk and they come back with some ridiculously low price tag for him well of course uh, I don't think. I'd be interested in shipping out a Miller or any of the top arms in the Cardinals organization for Reyes. And truth be told, it's going to it's going to come down to where the team stands in July. And they're not going to trade for him tomorrow. No. Um, if the Cardinals continue to win and, and can shake loose from the rest of the division come July. Maybe it's not necessary. It's some, um, something to me. That the the thing I worry about is is that right there that the other teams are going to fall off a little bit. The Cardinals hitting is going to stay hot long enough, and and we're going to have a repeat of you know. You think that they're going to get um, <coughs> complacent? Well, I'm not so much worried about the complacent as I'm. You know, everybody thinks they're the favorites going into the playoffs, and a few defensive miscues aside, the Cardinals don't make a move for anybody, and, you know, we're left wondering what if, and, you know, the huge elephant in the room is number five's contract. So, I, you know, I'm playing both sides. I realize that because I also know any any move for anybody that is an upgrade is going to cost a lot prospect wise. And to me that I just don't know. That's the hard thing. That's the do you or don't you when it comes to looking at, do you have the pieces internally? You know, I, I am glad that they're exploring all their internal options in case, you know, the, the David Fries monster in the room, doesn't doesn't pan out but at the same time i i'd be real curious to hear who mosaic's contacted about that you know like you said it doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone and and make an inquiry but you know it's may it, it's a lot easier to look at certain things now and say ah there's plenty of time it, you know end of june early july it gets a little bit scarier and ultimately the answer is we may never exactly know. that's you know that's the it, back back from the the you know i to this day remember my reaction when we talked about the holiday deal and uh, I, I was floored i mean especially coming off of the derosa deal and and uh it just wasn't something that i i saw happening and it doesn't mean that it won't happen again as early as <laughs> here in a few months so I would just be very, very surprised if you mentioned Shelby Miller's name, if, if he were included in any any talks for, for anybody at, at any price, just because I don't think the Cardinals 
are in a position that maybe the Reds are, as Drew pointed out, it's, it's going to cost a, a good chunk of their farm system to actually possibly get a Reyes or sure. somebody like that. So, you know, as we've been talking about all along, the, the same key issues are going to be the same key issues here well past episode 1.0. Indeed. And with that, I think it's time to put a stake in episode 1.0. Put a wrap on it, huh? Put a wrap on it, indeed. Let's, uh... We've had a heck of a time getting this thing put together. Um, was glad that we finally got Drew on. We will, uh... We've learned a lot in terms of scheduling. Yeah, yes. And, uh... We will, uh... Thank everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed our chat with uh, with Drew Silva from NBCSports.com. Uh, the Cardinals continue their series in Chicago as of recording time, and uh, hopefully that will result in another series win. And uh, as we've mentioned all along, the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast is not a regularly recorded show, obviously. <laughs> So uh, we're still searching for a better way to to make it where that that doesn't sound so bad. That's not bad at no, all. No, but I think it's a redeeming quality. Yeah, we're, we're irregular and we like it. Mm, <laughs> not sure I'd put it that way. <laughs> all right, we'll uh, we'll we'll stick with what you said. Very good. Uh, for Josh, I'm Nick. We both write at PitchersHit8.com. Uh, we both record the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast that you've been listening to. Thanks for that. Uh, we'll get back at you with episode 2.0 um, soon. How's that, Josh? Very good. Look forward on iTunes as well. Uh, indeed, indeed. We are now on iTunes, so you can search for Pitchers Hit 8th on the iTunes and uh, and hook it up uh, in in that manner. Till episode 2.0, once again, he's Josh, I'm Nick. Later. <laughs>